you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 306 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the optional form for the Declaration of Federal Employment episode of the SLS Cast. Yes, because it turns out... That if you would like to use a declaration for federal employment form that may also be used to assess fitness for federal contract employment, there actually is an optional form for this. Revised back in October of 2011. That optional form number is 306. And with that wonderful little bit of U.S. Office of Personnel Management information, I have Gorsi Matt, and coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim, Turkey Tim. That's right, Turkey Tim and Pilgrim Matt, I guess, I'm not sure. You could have, you could have said Gobble Gobble Bitches Matt. Well, I gotta, I, 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 I only do one now. I only use that phrase like one time an episode. I'm trying not to... Try, I'm trying not to, to start off with it. I wanted to kind of maybe finish it off or, or, or perhaps sneak it in somewhere. And Oh, I see. Yes. That's so, the... ladies and gentlemen, forget what you've heard the past 20 <laughs> seconds. Indeed. <sighs> but how the hell are you, sir? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm ready to get back to Texas and see all my friends and family and eat some good old-fashioned... Hopefully, turkey at Fleming Steakhouse on <laughs> on Thanksgiving afternoon. You're going to a steakhouse for Thanksgiving? The ode to the old divorced parents. My dad and his sister and his brother and a couple cousins, and I think some other people from my dad's side of the family, uh, every year they get together on Thanksgiving and they either do a, a Thanksgiving late lunch or an early dinner. And they just go to a buffet and hang out there for like four fucking hours. It's usually always a really nice buffet, too. And they just go hang out, chat, drink, go to a bar afterwards and keep the Thanksgiving train a rolling and probably regretting everything the next day. And my mom's side of the family, they us- their Thanksgiving is usually earlier on in the day. So at least when you go to a place like Fleming's, which is in I think it's a national chain, Fleming Steakhouse. You know you're going there for quality, because sure as shit, when you're paying as much as you pay to go eat there, you should demand quality. I'm expecting it's going to be okay, at least. Wow. Well, I mean, hey, I didn't realize that the steakhouse had a Thanksgiving buffet. (laughs) Now, would I I rather have a home-cooked meal? Of course. Definitely. You know, that's okay. Everybody's got their own Thanksgiving traditions, and some are quirky, some are more traditional. Ours are definitely out there. Uh, we, we actually just started, we cracked open a new tradition last night for Thanksgiving because we broke the proverbial, I don't know, entryway, I guess, if you will, into the the rite of passage of the rated R film. All of the children finally saw their first rated R film last night, Tim. For Thanksgiving! For it's as a Thanksgiving tradition. 
So an R-rated Thanksgiving film, was it planes, trains, and automobiles? As a matter of fact, it was. So kids, friends, and neighbors, don't worry. We did not subject our children to extreme violence and ultra ultra, uh, raunchy sex and nudity and stuff. Nope, it basically just boils down to the car rental scene where (laughs) Steve Martin utters like, 16 F-bombs in a row. I followed want an F-ing by, car with an yes. F-ing steering wheel. And then finally, that wonderful character actress who I cannot remember her name. And she's like, oh, you're... And just dumps the big F-bomb there at the end. So, um, and, and so I told the girls they would have to cover their ears for this part. So, uh, and so they did. But yeah, the movie, I, I'm sorry, especially being... 30 years old at this point because it came out in 1988 i just can't i don't really count that as like a truly r-rated movie yes the language is there and so i did have them cover their little delicate ears for that one scene for the car rental scene but beyond that it's really a pretty tame movie and get this get this my lovely wife, my lovely wife of damn near 15 years. It'll be 15 years in January. We've been together, we'll have been together for 18 years, but married for 15. Had never seen planes, trains, and automobiles before last night. Really? Really. I, for some reason, just figured that I took it for granted. I'm like, everybody's seen planes, trains, and automobiles. I mean, it's like, it's like the one reliable thanksgiving movie everybody knows that that's a thanksgiving movie and so you think that everybody's seen it and it turns out no not so much so really yeah well did did your wife and children enjoy it did they get a kick out of it oh they absolutely loved the crap out of it and what was funny was because i hadn't realized that planes trains and automobiles was r-rated because i hadn't put two and two together with the car rental scene and this movie. So we actually went out this past weekend to go track it down, found it at Target, and picked it up. Because we wanted the physical copy. Because we keep all of our holiday Blu-rays and holiday DVDs um, in a separate area so that we just pull them down once a year. And they don't clutter up the rest of the regular viewing throughout the year. And so we like to have our little physical copies. And we tracked it down. We go, and so I was like, well, actually, let me go see if I can grab uh, Dutch. So we went online, did the Amazon rental thing for Dutch, and had the kids sit down and watch Dutch, which came out in 1991, produced by John Hughes, and is basically kind of like the buddy version of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles that was more for, I guess, air quotes, family friendly. <laughs> And Hardly. That, that that movie is raunchier than Planes, Trains, Automobiles. See, I felt like it was too, but that one's only PG-13. It, it, well, and, right, and exactly. It, it, it fits all the established things. It's got one F-bomb in it, and, and then it doesn't really cross any other lines throughout the rest of the movie, except for some adult subject matter. Didn't and he like, so, pop a boner like in a backseat or something when he's sitting next to a girl? The kid? Well, no, he drools. Kinda? He falls asleep on her boobs and drools on her boobs. Oh, that's right. Okay. And she's still fully clothed. He, you know, she's just very amply supplied. At any rate, so 
we watched this movie and I was like, and I had never remembered seeing Dutch. It's like I knew I'd seen it way back in the day, but I was kind of going over some movies I wanted to see for Thanksgiving. And that kind of led into why we're covering our, why, why we're doing our, uh, was it worthy and did it age well combination for Scent of a Woman. So I had Scent of a Woman, I had Dutch, I had Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, I had Son-in-Law, and I had Home for the Holidays. Son-in-Law is a Thanksgiving movie? It is. It is a Thanksgiving movie, yes. The The bulk of the movie takes place over Thanksgiving break. Can you do a Polly Shore voice? Uh, no. Let me, I don't know, I'm trying to, because his name's Crawl in the movie. Oh, he's like, uh, oh, oh, Mrs. So-and-so, oh, you're so hot. I even got a bit of a semi going on. Yeah, that's kind of how he would talk. And then he'd kind of, he'd kind of whine it out, and then he'd do like weird rooster sounds and shit like that. Yeah. So he's crazy. I don't know. <laughs> nobody Good likes attempt. Polly Shore. Yeah, nobody <laughs> likes Polly Shore. Uh, but and the sad part is, his son-in-law is actually a good movie. We haven't watched it yet this year, yeah. but um, and I'm just kind of it's kind of a bummer because that's like the one good Polly Shore movie. He actually did do a decent Polly Shore movie. I like Polly um, Shore. He was a, he did Encino Man also, right? He him did. He did Sean do Astin. Encino Man, but then he turned around and did the movie about him being in the army. Or something in the and, army now, or something. Yeah, in the army now, or something like that. And he tried to go off and do bigger moves like Biodome and stuff like that. And so it turned out that maybe he could not do as good of a job at picking movies as people thought. But long story short, way too late for that. We saw Dutch before we watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and. Dutch is so fucking slow. It's so slow. Oh my god, I wanted to die watching this movie. And the the <laughs> acting pacing, and I'm like, and it just started clicking. I'm like, man, this movie's like a really lame version of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And I'm like, well, duh, this movie is produced by John Hughes, and John Hughes wrote, uh, had partial writing credit and directed Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So it was also really fun when we finally did sit down and watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, because everybody liked Planes, Trains, and Automobiles way better than they liked Dutch. Moreover, we started noticing all these weird cameos. Like, you could, like the, the car that John Candy rents is like the sedan version of the family roadster or the family truckster from, from vacation. National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah. yeah. And the house that Steve Martin lives in is like the freaking Home Alone house. And sure. All these, yeah, so you started seeing all these different things and, uh, and, uh, characters from various John Hughes movies who are character actors and stuff. You see other people who have been in John, subsequent John Candy movies and stuff. And it was like, wow, there's just like this complete incestuous world building that John Hughes did where he used all the same actors and actresses and the same locations. Of course, we know he loved Chicago. He was a huge, uh, nut for Chicago, for all things Chicago, which makes sense in that regard. But yeah, so you see like the dad from Ferris Bueller and stuff like that. And so I'm just picking out all these amazing John Hughes things. And it was a, it was a fun nostalgia trip. Anyway, 
So that's what we've been doing. We've been doing that going into Thanksgiving, and we'll be doing our traditional Thanksgiving weekend where we have um, Wednesday night, which actually will be as you are listening to this. If you listen to the show right when it drops, we will be off to Santa's Wonderland, and then we'll have all of uh, friends and family over on Thursday for Thanksgiving. And, of course, we have to watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And then on Friday, we will go to the old-time Christmas tree farm, cut down our Christmas tree. And Friday evening, I am at least, I think Tim and I are supposed to hang out, so that'll be really cool. And then... uh, I'm going to disappoint you at the last second. That's okay. I'm going to keep you waiting by the door. (laughs) Holding your, your, uh, your, uh, your, of your shit, your homecoming little... (laughs) The mum? No, the, no, not the mum. The corsage? Yeah, the, the cro- yeah, I wanted to say, cro- I was going to call it a croissantage. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to stop by Burger King. Are you ready, sir? Are you ready to do our Thanksgiving edition, our overstuffed edition of the bonus segment? Combination. Did it age well and was it worthy? Are you ready? I am, yeah. I'm excited to uh, talk about this with you well, Matthew. then we're going to leave this up to the editing fairy and uh, see what happens as we say, here we go. Did it age well? Did it age well? And was it worthy? You hunk and hammer jamma. I'm only three and a half years old. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Hoorah. And, uh, hoorah. Or whatever. Uh, <laughs> all right. So yes, we've got to be doing... a compilation online of all the times <laughs> that he says "oorah" in that damn movie, or in this damn movie. Hoo-ah! 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 Get, that, Hoo-ah! get your lip. Hoo-ah! 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 I'd like to. I'd like to submit starting off. With, you know, I loved you, Fredo. How could you do this to me? To Ura, to the Al Pacino, the Frappuccino thing from Jack and Jill. I would like. <laughs> what is the progression? <laughs> I think that would be an, an excellent case study uh, in the <laughs> career of an actor. At any rate. So, yeah, we're doing a double-sized, extra-stuffed edition here. Thanksgiving for Was It Worthy and Did It Age Well of... 1992's Scent of a Woman. Hi, Mr. Trossi. I'm here about the weekend job. Come on in. They put him in a veteran's home, but he hated it. Colonel's a gentleman. A real hero. This is some guy. Down deep, the man is a lump of sugar. Get in here, you idiot. What do you want? Give me what I want. What do you want here? I want, I want a job. A job? I promise you an easy 300 bucks. I don't get an easy feeling. How's your skin, son? I like my aides to be presentable. Well, I, I've had a few zits, um, but my roommate, he let me his clinic because he, well, he's from Chestnut Hill and he's got this. The History of My Skin by Charles Sims. Get out my dress blues. They're in a garment bag in the closet. Are, are we going someplace, Curtis? What business is that of yours? Don't shrug, imbecile. I'm blind. Our destination is New York City. I, 
I'm just gonna have to turn right around and come back. <laughs> Charlie's having a difficult weekend. How does he look like he's holding up? Oh, he looks fine to me. Don't think I can't see women because I can't see women. Boy, you have a one-track mind. Women are the essence of life. She's wearing flowers. Flederokai, Ogilvy Sister Soap. That's amazing. Well, I'm in the amazing business. I, I should be getting back to school. Ooh. I don't think you're gonna make it. You said that the last shuttle leaves at 10 o'clock. I lied. All I want is one last tour of the battlefield. You're just in a slump right now. How would you know, watching MTV all your life? Ooh. From Martin Brest, director of Midnight Run and Beverly Hills Cop. Make your own rules. Be your own board of governors. Pay your own dues. I don't know whether they shoot you or adopt you. It's not much of a choice, is it, sir? Al Pacino. Chris O'Donnell. Scent of a woman. What a marvelous place. So there you go, 1992 uh, American drama film. This one, of course, uh, writ- produced and directed by Martin Brest. And tells the story of a prep student who takes a job to an irascible, cantankerous, blind vet who has, um, you know, who, who lost his sight serving his country. And the Thanksgiving weekend they spend together learning life's lessons at various ages and stages of life. Now, this film also was the final um, poll for Al Pacino because he actually, for the 65th Academy Awards, he actually won Best Actor. Now, um, that's where we're doing the Was It Worthy portion. So clearly the did it age well version uh portion comes from the fact that this film is from 1992 and what's interesting is is when there's two aspects to the was it worthy that I want to look at. First of all, for the Academy Awards, let's let's talk about Al Pacino who has been nominated a total of 8 times. And up until his win, this is what he was nominated for. For Best Supporting Actor in 1973 for The Godfather. Um, he was nominated for Best Actor in 74, 75, 76, and 80 for Serpico, Godfather Part Two, Dog Day Afternoon, and then And Justice for All, respectively. In 1991 and in 1993, he was uh, nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Dick Tracy and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, respectively. And also in 1993, he was nominated and then, of course, won for Scent of a Woman. He was up against in 1993 for Best Actor. I'm not really going to concern myself with supporting actor in this particular instance because, um, well, he didn't win. And we're looking at this particular movie that he did win for. He was up against Robert Downey Jr., for who played Charlie Chaplin in Chaplin. He was up against Clint Eastwood, who played William Money in Unforgiven. He was up against Stephen Ray, who played Fergus in The Crying Game. And he was up against Denzel Washington, who played Malcolm X in Malcolm X. And so, should he have won prior to this, I think, is the real question. And did he deserve this award 
against all those other films. And I think we have to, before we can go to Was It Worthy, I think it's important that we start with Did It Age Well. And Tim, I would love to know what you think about whether or not this movie aged well. It does, to an extent. I was going to say, kind (laughs) of. To an extent. Did I enjoy it? Yeah. I mean, for a movie that's over two and a half hours long, it's a good movie. And I personally think that Chris O'Donnell's performance doesn't get enough attention. I thought he was very good for this particular film. And I just kind of thought Al Pacino... Well, I guess we're not getting into that portion yet. I thought the film was was very interesting. I thought it was like that early 90s kind of love story, but not ham. It wasn't really a love story. I think it's just kind of weird how the movie is called Scent of a Woman, and he only ever has one connection with a woman for like a brief period of time. I think that scene was maybe... 10 or 15 minutes long and it really wasn't that amazing but overall i thought it was a very good film i remember watching it as a kid like on tnt or tbs or something like that and you know thinking it was fine i mean i really liked al pacino at the time and at the time al pacino had to go full al pacino in order to get this kind of recognition because up until that point he's been very like more straightforward of an actor he never really, like, explodes as much as he does in this film. Okay. Well, well maybe not as much. I mean, well, I don't or know. Not, not ever. Yeah, I but... just keep going back to Serpico, and then I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. See, I love Serpico. I thought he did I do. so I'm not much saying, better but that's in Serpico. Just it. As you said, I think he's way more over the top in Serpico than he is than here. Well, and... okay. Is he Now, he's more definitely more over the top in Scarface. And, well, also, he's more over the top in Injustice for All, of course. That's the iconic, I'm out of, you're out of order. This whole trial is out of order. They're out of, I mean, that's that's where that whole thing comes from. But the thing with a movie featuring an actor who performs in such a way, like take Scarface, for example. Scarface had a lot going for it. It reveled in the drug culture. It had a bitchin' score by uh, Giorgio Marauder. Brian De Palma was an excellent director for that film, and the look of that film was brilliant. So with all of that mushed together or presented together, it works incredibly well. And Serpico was just a great fucking story. You know, it's, it's like the epitomal uh, seedy crime, inner city suspense drama. In this film, it just felt like it should have been more subtle. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm with you for the most part in terms of it having aged well. But I think it ages well against the backdrop of the supporting cast. And, and that's what I think is so interesting because when sure. you think about this movie, which, by the way, for the, for the record, folks, I don't know if, uh, how many of you realize this, but this movie was originally a book, an Italian book called Darkness and Honey, and was eventually made into a 1974 film in Italy called Profumo di Donna. Um, and, and so it's... I mean, so we're kind of adapted from adapted at this point, and now we're also crossing cultural boundaries and everything else because this is an American remake of an Italian an adaptation of an Italian book. Um, 
that is almost 20 years beyond. I mean, it's 18 years after the original film. So, uh, so what we have here is a film that gets Pacino his win based on the strength of the performance. And yet the only thing that seems to have aged well are the performances of the other characters. He seems to, and I don't know, maybe it's just because he's become so iconic and so larger than life that it just comes off as, I mean, dare I say corny. I, I feel like it's corny. But at the same sure. time, Chris O'Donnell really does an absolutely fantastic job. He is like this guy who just doesn't really know how to handle it. And it's and he kind of feels trapped. He kind of feels like he should know better. He but he's not really a hundred percent sure what he wants to do because as much as he struggles to fit in, in school He's finding that his struggles to fit in are going to translate into his real life if he doesn't get a grip. And it's, and so it's really nice to see Al Pacino kind of helping him find his footing in his own strange hoorah kind of way. But it's just, it's so overblown that we think of, you know, we think of Al Pacino, hoorah, and everything else and all the, and the, uh, and, and like the Kevin Spacey, uh, impersonations and stuff like that that you've always seen over the years and, and other people's uh, as well, that when you go back and watch it, it's not that overblown. He just is so full. So I don't know how to feel about it because... <laughs> He's I, so committed. He is. And so and it's like, I want to say that the movie's aged well, but I... I don't want to say the movie's aged well. I mean, do you think modern audiences, if this same movie came out now, well, not the same exact movie, updated with technology and fashion and shit, would people sympathize with him? Because I could see, like, in the early 90s, people being like, you know what, at heart, he's a good man because he's trying to help this guy out. But he's, I mean, I, I don't know, like... He says he's kind of a self-centered asshole that you really don't feel anything for him until later on in the movie when it finally clicks in Chris O'Donnell's character's head that this guy is seriously suicidal. Like, this is no joke. He is something is really wrong with him. And then they had that wonderful scene together where Chris O'Donnell basically breaks down and finally has that growing up moment, that movie growing up moment. That's when I think the movie really finally, firmly gets its footing. And that's what, like two hours into the movie or almost two hours basically, into the movie? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's basically about two hours in the movie. But the problem for me is, though, is that we look, our, but our, our, it's not, this is not a movie where it's just a case of our sensibilities have changed in the way in our, in our sophistication has grown. But even what we would look at, and I mean, how would you make how would you justify this movie in its in its current context let's just say we just update it so that it's all 2018 how would you update or how how do we justify rather this self-destructive for all intents and purposes for self-destructive white guy who was in the military who fucked his own career over and then he's paying out money like there's no tomorrow 
to an immigrant and to some low class kid who's trying to work his way up in a New England prep school that's 99.9% white just so that they can all go and be the elite of the next. I mean, there's so much has changed in the way we look at the world that I don't even know that you can say that the movie. I mean, you could make this movie again. I don't think it would be, you know, politically incorrect or offensive or anything. But you would literally have to change so much about this movie that I don't think it would have the same kind of impact today as it did back then. I don't know. Well, you couldn't go as over the top. I mean, like you, if you look at yeah. if you look at uh, Ellie en- Emery, the the movie, the drill sergeant. Who oh, actually Arlie, used to be, yeah, Arlie Emery, yeah, yeah. Now we all know that when he's actually when, like in Roll Call or in Full Metal Jacket, how he is portraying his character is just a character, and in real life he's not that brash, right? But for the record, he got the gig because he was trying to get Kubrick to understand that this is not how a drill sergeant would act. Let me show you how a drill sergeant would act. And he went on an improvisational, like, five-minute tirade on somebody. And so Kubrick was like... Well, it was on it. the guy who, orig- who originally got cast. Yeah, and so yeah. Kubrick's basically like, okay, well, fuck it, you're in. So that is exactly... Now, that's not Arlie Emery as a human, but that was how drill sergeants were. Well, and I would I, imagine... No, I get that, but are. what I'm saying is that with... Al Pacino's character, as he was this colonel, the entire time he was up, you know, he was at this level of when you think of Arlie Emery, I keep botching his name, how he is putting on an act as being a drill sergeant. You know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of, there's only so much of that you can take before it just comes off as comedic and you just can't really take it serious. Now it would be different if he was doing it as a facade, but it carries through the the entire film. And if they were to update the movie, I'd like it to be more apparent that this guy is hiding behind a facade of how he was in, in the military or whatever branch he was in or a part of. That's I think why his character would particularly, at least if Al Pacino were to play the character the same way now, I don't think it would work as well. Not only is it because we think of Al Pacino performing like that, but we also are, I think a lot of moviegoers have seen a lot of movies that pertain to deeper and darker subject matter like suicide and depression and PTSD that we want something with a little bit more nuance in it. And the film definitely has that nuance, but again, it doesn't happen till later on when Chris O'Donnell's character finds his footing and, and all that jazz. Okay, so you're landing on a yes. The scent of a woman has aged well. To an extent. I still, I enjoyed watching it. <laughs> I did too. That's the thing is, I... It's hard. I enjoyed watching it more for, again, the performances of the supporting cast and, you know, nostalgia factor. I... I gotta be, I can't, but I can't really say that it's truly aged well. Um, I'd even go so far as to say I think it's a, I think it's an excellent time capsule for 
in and of itself. I would even say Fourth Day. I think it just in and of itself, it's an excellent time capsule of the early '90s. And whether or not you think that's a good thing, I will leave up to you. I enjoyed the movie, but I enjoyed the movie more out of nostalgia and more for other things than the primary draw, which would be Al Pacino's performance. I think, which is at the end of the day, what is supposed to have carried the day, which is why he won the award. But ultimately this, this movie was also nominated for best picture. Um, It lost to unforgiven. It was up against the crying game, a few good men and Howard's end as well. So it lost to, to Unforgiven. And I think that I, I think it's fair to say that that's probably borne out well. But, um, so I guess we're going to give, you're just going to have a yes with an asterisk on it. <laughs> <laughs> it probably. Okay. I'm going to leave you with a yes as an asterisk. I'm just going to. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel more comfortable answering, was it worthy? But. It's frustrating. That's what it is. I wholeheartedly agree. I absolutely wholeheartedly <laughs> agree. I, I am going to land on a no. I have put you in the record books as a yes with an asterisk <laughs> next to it. Um, and then I guess so. Well, then that's fine. So now you. Uh, so so looking at who he was up against that year again, Robert Downey Jr. for Charlie Chaplin in Chaplin. Clint Eastwood, who played William Will Money in Unforgiven, Stephen Ray, who played Fergus in The Crying Game, and Denzel Washington in Malcolm X, uh, who playing at Malcolm X and Malcolm X. And remembering that he hasn't won or been nominated for anything since then, since Sen of a Woman. But we're talking Godfather, Serpico, Godfather Part Two, Dog Day Afternoon, and Justice for All, Dick Tracy, and Glengarry Glenn Ross. Is was the movie worthy? Was it worthy for Al Pacino for the movie in, in any way, shape, or form? Do you find that this film was worthy of his win? No, I agree. Yeah, I mean, like what we've or what I've been saying, especially it's the best of Al Pacino. Every single thing that has been goofed or spoofed of Al Pacino, you can find it in this movie. It's stereotypical Al Pacino playing an even louder Al Pacino constantly throughout the movie. I mean, and and that's why I don't think he necessarily deserved it. I mean, I grew up watching Robert Downey Jr.'s Chaplin. I remember watching the movie Chaplin without knowing who Robert Downey Jr. was. And my dad, at the time, just saying Robert Downey Jr. got snubbed. He deserved it. And I, to this day, I, I recently rewatched Chaplin, and I, I agree. Robert Downey Jr. should have taken home the Oscar. I thought Clint Eastwood did a great job. Denzel did a fantastic job. Same. I, I, for me, I don't know who I would... I would have a really hard time picking between RDJ and Denzel. That I don't know... I don't know how I how I would land on that. I guess um, I guess it's easy for me to say that I don't... I'm glad I don't have to pick, because clearly Al Pacino took it that year but for me i think i really think that it was because i i I think this was a political move back then i think they just felt it was al pacino's turn i mean um eastwood clint eastwood did not win for uh best actor but he did get uh best picture and he was the sole 
uh, award taker for that because he bought the rights to the screenplay. He directed it, uh, and he produced it. So he got to be the only one up there. So he got that. He's gotten his best director as well since then. And so I would say that they felt okay not giving it to him. I think that Stephen Ray, um, I, I think that Stephen Ray sadly was, uh, a victim of the, 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 unexpected runaway success of the crying game. Um, that's not to say that the crying game is a bad film by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that again, that was more of a political move of the day. And I honestly believe that they felt Robert Downey Jr. And Denzel Washington were young enough that they could afford to not get it in 92. And I think they just felt it was Al Pacino's turn. I don't think he was, I do not believe that it was worthy of his win. I think he should have gotten it for something, anything, anything before that. I would have been fine. He could have, I don't care. Godfather, Godfather 2, Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, and Justice for All. Dick Tracy, Glengarry, any of that. I think he was, I think it would have been fine. But just not Son of a Woman. So, weird. <laughs> Well, I'm glad I, I rewatched this one. It's been years since I saw it, so it was. And again, it's a good one. I mean, there, you get a full Thanksgiving meal scene in there. It does take place over the Thanksgiving Day weekend, and uh, so yeah. I mean, that's what I'm excited about. So yeah, it, it was. It, it also counts as a Thanksgiving movie. So so yay! And all the oorahs to reach the high heavens. <laughs> so many oorahs! Hooah! 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 So many oorahs. But uh, yeah, so there you go, folks. So we are definitely agreed that it is not worthy of the best actor for uh, Al Pacino at the 65th Academy Awards for Scent of a Woman from 1992. And in terms of did it age well, again, we've got... Tim with the caveat of mainly it did, but not entirely, and I'm just going out with a no. And there we go. So I think without further ado, I guess it is now time to get to those movies. What do you say, sir? Let's do it. Oh, but before we do that, what do we want to do for our bonus segment next week? Let's just do some news. Well, then that's what we're doing, folks. We're going to do some news next week. And without further ado, here we go. It's... The movie we Alright, so this week's movies are Overlord, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and Widows, which sadly, due to Car issues. Matt did not get to see. Um, Tim, why don't you favor us with Widows? Real quick for Widows. I'm not going to include a trailer for this one because I'm going to keep it uh, the review pretty short. Widows is a film directed by Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen, of course, did the wonderful 12 Years a Slave that came out or which came out three 2013. Yeah, he did Shame before that in Hunger. So a lot of people were looking forward to this film. Also, people were looking forward to this film, not be just because of Steve McQueen, but it's actually a really good 
action drama film that has potential award season has potential award season potential <laughs> which has award season potential which isn't really a thing uh, you know awards aren't really associated with action flicks but it's more of like a heist drama more so on the drama side and it's just a wonderfully told film uh, it stars a wonderful Viola Davis, Liam Neeson, John Berthnall, Michelle Rodriguez, and Elizabeth Debicki. Rob Duvall is in it. Colin Farrell is in it as well. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez, probably my favorite performance of hers. Elizabeth Debicki did a fantastic job as well. But the shining performance is, in fact, Viola Davis. I love this woman. I... Couldn't tell you a single performance of hers I did not enjoy, and watching this movie just made me finally realize that. I've always enjoyed her in films, but I think for some weird, stupid reason on my part, it took this one for it to finally click in and really appreciate her so much more as an entertainer or a performer. But Widows, of course, is the film about a group of wives who lost their husbands in a botched heist. And due to some government corruption that's happening there in inner city Chicago, the ladies are forced to pick up where their husbands left off and proceed with a heavy-hitting robbery. And that's all I'm going to say. It's a wonderful film. They keep going back and forth, like through flashbacks. So you see Liam Neeson come back and interact with her. And it just provides a lot of emotional depth to these characters to where you actually feel for these women. You know, not only are they going through the horrible, horrible, horrible aftermath of their husband's demise of their husband's deaths, but now they're being forced to perform a robbery. And it's just a really shitty predicament. It's a very entertaining movie, and I definitely, definitely, definitely recommend it. Matt, I hope you can go see it at some point. Definitely worth a viewing. I give it a 4.5 out of 5. I highly recommend it, you guys. Please go check it out. Well, that's shitty. I wish I had not seen something else. No, the movie really did look good. I was wanting to see it. I actually was kind of on the fence about it for a while. And I know we, you know, we have our rundowns. Tim is very good about, you know, mapping it out for usually three or four weeks in advance. So we kind of have an idea what's happening. And I was a little on the fence about it. And then I got stuck. I can't remember. I guess maybe when I went to go see mid nineties or something, I caught a trailer for it and. I was like, oh, wow, yes, this is what Tim's talking about. And so I was really wanting to see it. So now, especially after you guys hear my scores for the other two movies, I, I would have much preferred to see something that was in the 4.5 range instead of what I saw. So <laughs> now I'm even sadder. <sighs> anyway, okay. Well, good to know. Good to know. I think um, I actually was able to turn in some old Cinemark points that I had had. Uh, thanks, MoviePass, because <laughs> that was all you were good for, apparently. Uh, and so I have a couple of free movie passes to go and see uh, some stuff at Cinemark. So I think maybe I will grab Jen and we will go see Widows. Ooh, cha-ching, cha-ching. So, 
Yes, in Reno. This way I don't have to burn my three passes for A-list this week, you see? No. <laughs> now you can go see Ralph Breaks the Internet three times in a row, back to back. Oh, you know it. I'm going to I'm going to be that's that's all I got. That's that's all I have left for this weekend is, you know, I I I thought that's what we were going to do on our date. <laughs> we are Chick-fil-A and Ralph Breaks the Internet. That's right. You and me, Chick-fil-A, Friday night. Anyway, no. All right, seriously. So we have Over Overlord and Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Where do you want to turn, sir? I'm going to say my least favorite for next, and that would be Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald. Let's do it. Address. What's that? A safe house in Paris. Why would I need a safe house in Paris? Should things at some point go terribly wrong, it's good to have a place to go. You know, for a cup of tea. My brothers, my sisters, the clock is ticking faster. My dream, we who live for truth, for love. The moment has come to take our rightful place in the world where we wizards were free. Join me. Or die. The wizarding and non-wizarding worlds have been at peace for over a century. Grindelwald wants to see that peace destroyed. You want me to hunt him down? To kill him? Dumbledore, why can't you go? I cannot move against Grindelwald. It has to be you. You don't suffer from motion sickness, see? I don't do well on boats. You'll be fine. Do you know why I admire you, Nick? You do not seek power. You simply ask, is the thing right? The time's coming when you're going to have to pick a side. No, I don't do sides. What are you going to do? I think it's something. Mute, you never met a monster you couldn't love. Let's take him. That's your brother? I think that might have been the best moment of my life. All right, 2018 fantasy film directed by David Yates, written by J.K. Rowling. Uh, this one is, of course, the next in a saga that was originally supposed to be three movies, and now looks like it'll be five movies, and maybe after this it'll be back to three movies. Yay! Um, all right, so we're basically picking back up a few years after the first movie, uh, I want to say within three years of the first movie. And Grindelwald is getting um, transferred from the Americas back to England because he's the bad, he's a bad wizard. And he isn't it like three to... months? Is it three months? I guess I it it's is. three months. Because, yeah, because it is. He's just been convicted. And so he's, yeah, yeah. you're right. That was a late, that was a late reaction. So I, I apologize. No, you're fine. <laughs> I, think three years three months whatever you know that's the movie felt gonna, like three years i was gonna say you're gonna wish it was three years so you can justify what was going on with this movie for fan being a uh two hour and 15 minute movie all right look basically it, it's pretty simple uh grindelwald is supposed to be transferred he ends up escaping newt is stuck trying to be able to travel again and do his wonderful uh, searches of fantastic beasts and, and continue on. He doesn't want to choose sides. He wants to remain neutral, somehow thinking that's going to help 
his situation and the situation. Um, you know, we've got, uh, uh, Queenie is, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Queenie and Jacob are kind of together, but not together because of the whole muggle magic ban. You can't have muggles and magic folk being together. They're called nomads. Oh yeah, that's right. Not, not, non mat Is it nomads or non mad in the United States? I don't fucking know. They, they say nomads. I, I don't remember. I call them muggles because that's easier to remember and sounds better as well. Uh, they just tried way too hard. Uh, that was one of the things that I did not like about the first movie that they kind of glossed over, but then really go heavy handed in this film is a lot of the American slang and terminology. Um, especially for a film that ultimately moves over to Paris and shit. It's like, why, why, why? I don't know. There's, you're going to find yourself asking that a lot. At any rate, um, uh, Newt gets sucked in after meeting with Dumbledore and goes off and tries to help and find and whatever. Um, surprise, surprise. Queenie's upset because of everything. And so, she and Jacob have their own issues and he and Tina are also having their own issues. Um, and I'm looking it over here. Yes, you're right. You, uh, no match. Yes, it is a no match. I thought it was not match, but yeah. Um, you know, I just, here's the thing, guys. It's not that the movie is bad. It's that the the movie, the concept, the concept was simply not well thought out. And so you can't have a movie wrapped around the idea of Fantastic Beasts, but the kernel of which is this early version of Voldemort. I mean, for crying out loud, Nagini's in this fucking thing. Um, and that's the problem. So instead of having something where you really, it's really about the beast, it's about the magic, it's about the world, the wizarding world, as it were, it's watching Roland, uh, Rowling struggle and Yates as a director struggle to give meaning to this universe and i think that it and it shows because they're trying to make these two two and a half hour epics and i think that they could have made this work if they'd have wrapped it around something else and just had newt be part of the universe and instead they're leading off with newt and they're just rapidly running out of ways to incorporate the ideas behind what made fantastical beats the first movie work so well um and and it's and again the movie just suffers because it's trying to drag everything out to make it so much more grandiose and so it's with eternity that instead it's just convoluted and hard to watch um you know but i still it's still likable enough it it ekes in ekes in at a 3 i was heavily leaning towards a 2 2.75 even a 2.5 but I'm kind of holding out hope that 
this is the weaker link in the film because they're actually trying to build to do some really cool things. They introduce some cool concepts again, because they do have a genie in here, right? Fantastical beast. Um, you know, I don't want to spoil too much, but there are other magical creatures that I think are going to be something that can bring the series back to the beasts side of things. Um, and if they can do that, I think it'll salvage. So this one ekes out at a three, but it's on thin ice, seriously thin ice. What do you got there, Tim? The best thing I can say about this film is that it would be, is that I liked where the movie ended up. I liked where the characters ended up. I thought it was very interesting. It felt like this movie moved towards this element where there are more people involved now in the story. The stakes are higher. I like that. I wanted the entire movie to be as interesting as the end of this movie because I thought Johnny Depp did a pretty good job as well. Uh, real quick, Matt, did you like Johnny Depp in this film? I was concerned that we were going to get a hybrid version of Snape and Voldemort with a sprinkle of Captain Jack. Um, but no, I think... I. I he was appropriately mellowed, I think, and melancholy. Yeah, sure. Evil, but not overstated. So, yes. And I, he was definitely sinister. I, I liked it. Yes. I also liked the the, the homosexual undertones between him and, and Dumbledore. I thought that was pretty interesting, and I thought they handled that in a very tasteful way. I don't know if you felt the same way about that or not. Always, okay, I was so, very surprised by it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of, when it comes to that, I kind of take it or leave it. I feel like um, in terms of Dumbledore's sexuality specifically, I'm, and again, I'm rereading the series with the kids, We you know, going through the books. And I feel like Roland is just trying to justify a statement she made like six or seven years ago where she's, where she said, Oh, I always felt that Dumbledore was gay. And I think so now she's trying, now they're just trying to, I don't want to say reverse engineer or retcon it, but I do feel like they're just trying to force it. And and I think if she was going to be intellectually honest with herself and the character, that would have been pretty blatant in the books. You know, it's not like, oh, he wears a funny little tea hat instead of his wizard cap um, or something. And, oh, he just was a close friend. No, I think that especially by the end of the series of books, um, she could have established the reality of Dumbledore's sexuality and people would have been okay with it. And so I don't mind it as a plot point. And I think that it's in, you know, it is what it is. I, I think that it's, and I think it's also good that we are exposing kids to the idea that there's more than just one generic sexuality out there. So I think that's good. And I, and I, and I'm glad that that's happening in a, in a very smooth, understated way that is kind of like it's not complete subtext, but it is absolutely not overt. I just wish that she had done this the whole time. Does sure. that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. So that that's just kind of where I land. I just kind of feel like... Um, it's a little disingenuous on her part. But in terms of the physicality and the, the movie-making side and the acting, 100% agree. I thought it was great. And 
more power to them. I, and quite frankly, I hope that they can kind of grow that, um, to, to make it something that is moving and powerful by the end. So. And the negative aspects of this film, and there are so many of them because it's the same negative aspect appearing over and over again. And it's the same issue I took with the first Fantastic Beasts film, and that is so many green screens. There are so many green screens used in this film. Like, very important plot points or story elements are being loudly carried out in the middle of a street. (laughs) In a massive street, you know. And there's these big old buildings on each side, and yet nobody can hear them. Like, there's nobody even popping their head out of a window to figure out what are all these people screaming about? What are they yelling about? What? Oh, there, there are these monsters and beasts causing havoc throughout the city, and yet nobody is responding to it. And because of that, it's near difficult to be completely enveloped in a magical world. You know, it's a weird faux reality that just feels so fucking fake, and it's so obvious as well and you just kind of wonder like this movie was 20 million dollars more expensive than the first fantastic beasts film and yet it managed to look kind of i mean certain aspects were pretty cool like i really like the opening of the film but really the meat and bones of the movie were just kind of bland because the scenery was very bland and it was very two-dimensional why because it was all CGI green screen, and it, there's just, there's no delicious aesthetic to it. Unlike the Harry Potter films, do they use green screen? Yes, but there is something charming about those characters, and the films themselves, to where you just kind of accepted some of the cheesy... And honestly, really, if you go back and rewatch the, the Harry Potter films, it, it worked. There's not that many bad green screen or blue screen moments. I mean, I can think of a couple really bad instances, but overall, all the films were, were great in the look department. Even with all of the convoluted magic in this film, you, the audience, are never really transported into a world that is worthwhile, that you can actually lose yourself in. To me, that is what this movie is missing. It's kind of like David Yates was like, you know what? We need to we need to add some spoon that's just stirring something in a bowl. It, it it'll, it'll be little. It'll be right there, just on the table, just happening. It's just going to be a spoon stirring. It doesn't really work because everything surrounding that little bit of magic just looks like crap. It doesn't work well together, and all the magic itself, like little nuances of magic, are very convoluted and just felt like it was put there to remind the audience that oh hey, there magic is going on here. Therefore, that brings me to the fact that I think we all think that David Yates needs to leave the franchise, take a back seat, start producing, let somebody else jump in and take the reins. Like what, uh, kind of like with what Alfonso Cuaron did with The Prisoner of Azkaban. We were so used to seeing the first two Harry Potter movies have that very magical, light, Christopher Columbus look and feel to it, that when... Prisoner of Azkaban came out, which was darker, a little grittier, a little bit more adult. It was exactly what the franchise needed, because with all the films that followed, they just kind of blended the aesthetics together and created something that was more 
palatable and lasting over the course of seven movies. So I give Crimes of Grindelwald a three as well, although I wanted to give it a 2.5 out of five. So bad. I'm just, uh, I'm just, uh, yeah, a reluctant three. Fair enough. All right, well, then that is going to move us into Overlord. Three months ago, I was cutting grass in my front yard. And the mailman shows up with a letter from the army. Now I'm here. No idea where I'm going to end up. Welcome to France. What happened here? Some questions don't have good answers. There's a lot of soldiers out there, and there's only four of us. Find out what's inside that compound. What is this? A thousand year army. These thousand year soldiers. What's not in that wall? What do you do with those people? We've got a 2018 American War Horror Films directed by Julius Avery, written by Billy Ray and Mark L. Smith. Uh, let's see here. This movie stars uh, Yovan Adepo, Wyatt Russell, Matilda Olivier, John Magaro, Gianna, Gianni Toffer, Pilu Azbeck, and Bokeem Woodbine. Films produced by J.J. Abrams and basically follows uh, some American GIs uh, right before D-Day who are tasked with blowing up a radio tower. Critical. Mission critical that they do this. And they, of course, stumble upon something far more sinister. Um, yeah, there's not... A, I, honestly, I don't have a whole lot to say. But it's, it's a very fun, interesting take on... Uh, science science fiction and historical fiction blending together against the backdrop of something that really happened and it is interesting it's not super great and i think that the combination works um but really i think this could have been done in an hour and a half instead of an hour and 50 I, but it's a much more solid entry than I initially thought it was going to be. I give this one a solid three, and that's pretty much all I have to say. Three. <laughs> I, I like it. I can comfortably say I like it. Where with Fantastic Beasts, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm going to give it to you. Uh, I'm giving it to you to be nice. This one I can solidly say I liked. And that's about all. Three. I've been looking forward to this movie since they've been promoting it. Originally, I remember it was supposed to tie in to the uh, to the to the Cloverfield movie franchise, but after how the Cloverfield paradox, whatever the hell that movie was called, bombed, I don't know if they just retooled Overlord or if they rewrote, reshot something or what. But they decided to make it its own film, and I'm so glad they did that because I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. It's one of those rare films where. I looked forward to it 
and I got exactly what I wanted. In fact, I think I got more than what I was expecting because I thought it was going to let loose the whole zombie Nazi thing towards the end where all of a sudden hordes of Nazi zombies were going to be attacking the villagers and all that jazz. But no, that is not the case. It was more of a World War II movie than it was a zombie Nazi movie. In fact, the zombie Nazi portion of the film doesn't really kick in until some really great World War II stuff takes place. It's just a wonderfully well-written and tightly told story with these great characters. Uh, one of the guys that wrote The Revenant had a hand in writing the script in this film as well. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not, or, or, or maybe it was J.J. Abrams and when he was coming up with the story with, uh, with the director, maybe it was the director who had all these great ideas, but there was nothing that I didn't like. There were a couple things that they could have tightened, maybe they could have tackled in a different way, in a better way, but overall, everything was wonderful. The action, the special effects, the makeup effects, and, and most importantly, again, the writing and the acting was just on par. It was great. I, I It's a 4.5 out of 5 for me. It, it's surprising because it doesn't fall into the traps that we're used to seeing with films kind of like this, where they say, oh, hey, we're this very unique, interesting movie telling this very unique and interesting, bizarre story. We're mashing up all these genres, you know, and we're trying to be unique. Come and see this movie. And then you're like, oh, cool, that sounds neat. Then you go and see it and realize, oh, it was all a ruse. It's not really like how they were advertising it, but it, it's great. It was more of a war movie than it was a zombie gore fest. And it's not even really a zombie gore fest. And it just all makes sense, which is nice. Everything that pertained to the zombie Nazism, <laughs> that pertained to the zombie Nazi formula and, and how they were created and why they were created, it just absolutely worked. With a film like this, where characters, and especially in horror films, where characters are put or stumbling into horrible situations in which they then have to get themselves out of, it is very important to have a good reason why they are there. And not only is their reason good, but it makes sense. And there are actually things at stake. It's kind of like they're on a timer, you know, the, the, one of those, the tick of the clock movies where they have to beat the clock to achieve something. And, and they hit this obstacle where it's like an unforeseeable obstacle. Like it is a mountain of obstacle, but they have to do it for the greater good. And it definitely raises the stakes. So that's all I'm going to say about it. Please go and check it out. Overlord, a 4.5 out of 5 in my book. Very cool. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the movies. Next week's movies are going to be Ralph Breaks the Internet. It's the only movie theater movie we're going to be checking out. We've got two Netflix hits we're going to be going over. And Tim and I have pretty much cheated because we've basically already seen them. So, <laughs> And we were already talking about them. We're very excited for these. We've got Orson Welles' unfinished, now-finished uh, masterpiece, The Other Side of the Wind, and the Coen Brothers, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, coming at you next week. And without further ado, I believe it's time to gobble gobble, bitches. Gobble gobble, spiel gobble gobble, on <laughs> gobble gobble? Fair enough. Oh, stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. 
He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She's gonna catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama didn't raise no dummies. I duck her rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. Oh, say, Jack, cut me some slack. Chomp don't wanna help. Chomp don't get the help. Say, can't hang. Say, seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in it. Music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can, of course, come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down in the old SoundCloud and other podcast directories. If you'd like to support the show, we would love for you to do that. Head on over to patreon.com and check us out there so until next week this is matt saying that thanks to jude long i get to say this i've always thought prince charming in cinderella was the most boring role i'd rather be the wicked witch take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week and also we hope you have a very lovely thanksgiving madam perhaps we should be going oh very well monsieur thank you so much so nice to see you And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.